Welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad you guys decided to spend part of your weekend with us. We're super excited you're here, and especially for a series like we're in this month. Um, before we get into the series, because I know you're all just waited with bated breath on what I'm going to say today, right? Amen. Amen. Right? Uh, I, I do have a couple of other announcements that didn't make the announcement video. We actually had the video shot before we made some of these changes. Um, I wanted to let you know, uh, first of all, today and today only is a Virtue Conference flash sale. And what does that mean? I think it was like normally $35 today and today only. I think it's going to be like $25. So if you were on the fence on whether or not you're going to Virtue Conference, then by all means, jump in today. Uh, I think you can go to wearevirtue.org. Yeah, .org uh, and, and get your tickets today. Invite your nieces, your, don't invite your nephews. Invite your nieces, your daughters, your best friends, coworkers, your enemies. Bring them all. Bring them all. It's going to be a great conference. And uh, every Virtue Conference is great, but this one's special to us because this one is the official national release of Tyra Rain's brand new book, Virtue. Amen. So we're excited about it. We are. And so uh, I think it actually hits Amazon on uh, May 6th, I believe. Maybe May 5th, May 6th, somewhere in there. Um, it's going to be available on Amazon. But for all of you guys who pre-ordered your copy, they will actually be here next weekend. So... They'll, they've, got a, they've got a table, they're going to set up in the foyer, and so she's got them little gift bags, and so all super cute, and so if you ordered a, a, a pre-ordered a Virtue book, they'll be back there next week. Next week is also baptism weekend, so we're excited about that. If you're interested in being baptized, you can text BAPTISM to 918-393-7991. Yep, they stick up on the screen for you. Um, and so a lot of people, you know, they came to Easter, they started this new life. I mean, they feel like all clean on the inside. And so now we actually want to take you, the next step would be baptism. And again, baptism doesn't save you. Um, if that was the case, Jesus was on the cross with the two thieves. He looked at one and said, today you'll be with me, right? Today you'll be with me in, in, uh, in paradise. He would have said, let's get off the cross. Let's baptize you first. You know, no. Baptism is an outward expression of what God's doing on the inside. Amen, everyone? And so that'll be next week. We're excited about that. And then I know the announcement said that this Wednesday's prayer, but this Wednesday's actually last Wednesday. So if you're new with us, um, all of our services converge together on the last Wednesday. We just have a big, amazing service um, where there is no second service following us, and um, we can just let the Holy Spirit do what He wants to do. So that'll be this week, and as always, there'll be child care provided for that. Um, I started a series last week that I believe is a right now message not just for the body of Christ, but specifically for the people of your place, church. And uh, the whole premise of the series actually began with the message I'm going to bring with, to you guys today. This is a lab teaching that I do um, for our college that meets on Thursday nights. But in order for us to be better together, which is our theme, um, we actually have to kind of stay together. Amen, everyone? And so many of us, we don't stay together. And the number one reason for that is we, we assume things, we, you know, we role play out situations in our minds, we're unwilling to have conversations, we don't like confrontation. And so we would just rather avoid you know, 
a confrontation versus stepping into a conversation. And I believe so much of the way our world is today is because nobody wants to get down in the weeds and wrestle through some of this stuff. And so today I want to teach you how to do that. And a lot of us, the reason why we don't like to do that is because we think it gets messy. Um, we think we're going to ruin a relationship, or we think someone's going to blow their top. Or, you know, a lot of times we rehearse how it's going to go, and I mean, statistically speaking, 80% of the, the self-talk that we have is negative, if you think about it. You're like, you're always, you know, you could always do more. This could always been better. I could be further along in life than I am, and I'm just not good at that. That's just self-talk. And so our hopes are to help you with that today. Because again, I'm of the mindset that the only bad conversations out there are ones not had. That's, what, that's my philosophy in it. Well, we've got to be able to create safe and effective ways to have conversations. And I don't even want to call them hard conversations. I just want to call them courageous conversations. How many of you, you have a leader or someone in your life that had the wherewithal to stop and take the extra eight minutes and share with you some things that were hard to hear in the beginning. But yet you are who you are today because someone had the guts or the gumption to slow down and stretch you in an area. Well, I want the people of your place, church, to be those people. To be the people who are willing to have these courageous conversations. But in order to do that, we've got to, we've got to step up. We've got to step into them. We've got to become doers of the word like we mentioned last week. So today, we're going to talk about the art of having hard and awkward conversations. I told you last week we got a 12-step program for you. I've got 12 steps to have hard and awkward or courageous conversations because it's not a matter of if you have a conversation It's a matter of when you will have your next one. Because in life, conversations are just a part of what we do. And if you're in any form of leadership whatsoever, it's not a matter of if you're going to have an awkward or courageous conversation. It's a matter of when you have your next one. And so I just want to teach you how to do it. Because a lot of times, if we just just knew how to do it, we could do it. Now, today's going to be super practical, so if you're new with us today, you're going to have to come back next week, because next week, whoo, buddy, we grab a gear next week. Um, But this week is super practical, again, something I teach our college students. Um, But if we're not careful, when we hear a message like today, it'll just feel like a bunch of information and not transformation. So it's a super practical message, but it has spiritual implications, but you're going to have to lean into them. You're going to have to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you about your current life and current situation. What's going to happen, because this this happened, because during, in between services, people came up to me and they're like, I'm filtering this message through a recent situation in my life. And that's probably what's going to happen. But allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to teach you, hey, listen, you could have done this better this way. Next time, do this. Allow that to happen. I would encourage you to take super great notes today. Again, 12 steps. You can just number one, two, three, four, five, six, all the way down to 12 because I'm going to give them to you rather quickly. But before we do, let's just invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us because without Him, there is no transformation. It's just information. Father, we love you and we're thankful for your word. 
And we're thankful that the entrance of your word brings light and it brings understanding. And Father, we know that there are some things that human nature has figured out about conversations, about interpersonal relationships. And that's great and that's fine and there's some, there's some things to be learned there. But Father, today we're actually looking for your voice, your leading. How does this apply to our lives? And so Lord, I pray that you would direct me today. Help me to slow down, recognize every single person in the room. I pray by your Holy Spirit, even if they're watching online, Father God, that you're able to minister life and encouragement as a result of these 12 steps in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you've come to our Compass event, then you've heard me talk about, or you've heard us talk about, um, our ministry days before we launched Your Place Church. We were actually on staff as youth pastors at a church in Topeka, Kansas. Great church, really fun season of our life. I mean, just like any season, it has its challenges, ups and downs, but um, they hired me to be the full-time youth pastor, even though they promoted me, I say promoted, they reassigned me later um, in my responsibilities at the ministry. But in those early days, uh, I'm, I'm the youth guy. In fact, they, they called me before I accepted the position, and they were like, hey, listen, we got this 6,000 square foot facility, it's going to be youth ministry, how would you design it? And I'm like, never had that opportunity before, I don't know. And, uh, and then they would call me another day. I'm still living in Oklahoma doing real estate here. And the pastor of that church would call me, get, hey, listen, if you were going to put chairs in a youth facility, what kind of chairs would you get? No clue. Never done it before, right? And, uh, and so he knew I was going to be the guy before I knew I was the guy. Well, what ended up happening was Tyra and I accepted the position. We moved our family away from all, all of our family here, all of our friends, all the way to Kansas, um, which... The only way you go to Kansas is if the Lord calls you. Okay, I'm just going to lob that one out there a little bit, right? Um, loved our time there, great people, um, right smack dab in the middle of God's will for our life. And so we had this really cool youth facility, um, 3,000 square feet of it was auditorium space like this. The other 3,000 square feet of it was, I mean, it looked like Matrix Reloaded. I mean, we... we totally went crazy with it. I mean, we had TVs everywhere. We had pool tables, air hockey tables, video games. And we had this, um, what we called the Sidewalk Cafe, which was USDA choice junk food. I mean, we had junk food. The cafe at our youth building actually made more money in one night than all the offerings did for the whole month. Because teenagers, if you did not know this, love to eat. They love to eat. And we didn't upsell it like it was basically carny food is what we were selling. And, uh, and so we, we just, you know, we just made it available. And don't let teenagers tell you they don't have any money. Oh, they got money. They got money. When it comes to food, they got money. And so we had this cafe. We had all these adult workers with, working for us. In fact, we had a waiting list of adult workers to work in our youth ministry. And the only reason why we had to have a waiting list, because if you have more adults than you have teenagers, it ceases to be a youth ministry, right? And so we had to, we had to kind of, you know, hey, listen, we, we only need two more this week. And so they would come, they would join our team. It was great. It was a super fun time. And I had this one adult worker, he was a 20-something kid, 
He was the son of one of the founding families in our church, in a church 30 years old at this time. And uh, he was one of the sons. He, you know, um, in fact, his stepdad was one of the musicians, one of the lead worship leaders, just a super great family, right? And so this kid, gold, loved him. Like I could call him up and he would, he would, he would take off work just to come and hang out with us. I mean, faithful, we, we called him fat. Faithful, available, teachable. You see what I did there? You see what I did there? Faithful, available, teachable. We had Fat Tuesdays, not Mardi Gras. Faithful, available, teachable Tuesdays where we would train everybody. And he was one of those guys. He was just faithful, he was available, and he was teachable. I mean, he's the guy that every one of you wants, right, working with you. And so I can remember one particular day, um, Wednesday night service, and uh, it was my job to reset the cash box for the Sidewall Cafe. And I'll never forget, it was $21 bills. It was two 20s, because sometimes, you know, the parents would come over and buy a, buy a cheese coney or something like that, and they'd pay with a 50 high rollers, you know? And so they'd pay, so I'd have, to, I'd have to be able to break it. And then I had like four 10s and four fives, right? I, same setup every single time. That's just the way I set the cash box up. And so I would take that, and again, you guys can do the math on how much money that actually is, but I would take the cash box completely loaded, and I would set it very securely, very safely above the refrigerator in the sidewalk cafe, right? And, uh, and this particular time, my, my worker who was over the sidewalk cafe came up to me and was like, Pastor Darian, can I talk to you for a second? And I'm like, well, yeah. She's like, um, you know how we always count the cash before we start the service so we know how much the, the cafe makes? And I said, well, yeah, it's the same every week. <gasps> We're $10 short. And I'm like, oh, it's probably my bad. I'm sorry. You know, I'll just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was my mistake. Just go on, like, you know, got $10 out of my pocket. Here, here, now we're starting safe. Okay, thank you. Goes on. Well, another week or two comes around, and she comes back to me, and she says, Pastor Darian, the cash box is short again. Now I'm like, something's up. Because it doesn't just... You know, I'm not making this big of a mistake every other week, right? It's not rocket science. 21s, 220s, 510s, 55s. That's how I set it up. And so I'm like, something's up, right? And one particular week, I'm in there. It's a Monday because we had Wednesday night services and Sunday night services. So Monday rolls around, and I've got the cash box. And, of course, I'm counting all the cash, and I'm resetting the box. I'm resetting the box. And I go to go put the box in its very safe, very secure location above the refrigerator in the sidewalk cafe. And I come out and this worker, this adult worker, this 20-something-year-old kid comes in. And I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? He's like, hey, Pastor Darren, good to see you. And he goes over. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just going to play around a pool. And he sets up the pool table and he starts playing pool. And I'm out there with him for a little bit and I talk to him. My office was on the game room side where the cafe was, and I just went into my office for a few minutes, and I'm telling you, it wasn't two and a half minutes later. He's like, okay, see you later, Pastor Darian, and he leaves. I'm like, all right, see, see you later. Like, that was quick. And then my knower went off. You know what I mean by that? The Spirit of God on the inside of you? And it said, go check the cash box. And I just reset it from the night before. And I got up and I walked into the sidewalk cafe. I reached up into its very, 
secure location, pulled it off the top of the refrigerator, I opened it up, and I counted it out, and I'm $20 short. And I know there is no way on earth that I missed it this time. And I realize I have a very hard, potentially awkward, but courageous conversation ahead of me. Because this is not just $20 out of Darian's pocket. This is holy money. Every single penny contributed to the mission and vision of the local church is God's. Like, and we treat it that way. That's why there's a receipt for every penny that comes in that we spend at Your Place Church. I have a team of people. We have a board of directors. We have an, we have an accounting team. Like, we're very, very, very serious about every penny that is sowed into this place. Well, back then... I considered it holy money. You don't mess with God's money, and you for sure don't steal it. And so I knew I'm going to have to have a conversation with this adult worker. And I honestly, back then, didn't really know how to do it. Why don't we like having hard conversations? Do we, do we feel like something's going to go wrong? Do we not want to offend the person? Do we not want to lose them off of our team? Do we not want to create awkward family dynamics? Maybe we just don't like the way it feels. But at the end of the day, we still have to do them. Are you with me, friends? And already I can tell by looking at you, people are like, I don't think I'm going to like where this is going today. Just stay in the boat. Just stay in the boat. Because after I give you these 12 very simple, simple steps... Everybody in the room will be master conversation people. The scripture understands this. Proverbs chapter 18 says this, A brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city, and disputes are like barred gates of a citadel. The New Living Translation says, An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. In arguments... Separate friends like a gate locked in bars. So, we, so the scripture understands, listen, I realize this is not for the faint of heart, but it also does not excuse us from having these conversations. We see this in uh, Galatians, this altercation between Paul and Cephas in Galatians chapter 2. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Not over text message, not over an email. I didn't have a friend do it for me because courageous conversations are always better done in person. Can I have an amen? amen? Well, why did you have this conversation, Paul? Because Cephas, which some scholars believe was actually Peter, Peter, he stood condemned, he said. For before certain men came from James, Cephas used to eat with us and the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because, because why? Because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. He was afraid of the Jews. And he was afraid that if he's seen hanging out with these Gentiles, then all of a sudden they're going to look down at him. And he's like, he just started backing away. And Paul was like, I opposed him to his face. Why? Because basically he allowed peer pressure... What other people thought about him, 
What other people may say about him sway his love for all of God's people. And, and Paul called him on it because it was a character flaw in Cephas. Well, how do we do that? How do we have hard and potentially courageous, awkward conversations? Well, here's the 12 steps. Ready? Number one, pray. <laughs> pray first. Don't imagine a scenario where we're good enough on our own to do this without the presence of the Lord. Amen, someone? Now listen, you're going to have to talk back to me today because first service was super quiet. And it's like they all just kind of sat in the room with their foot on the brake. And I was like, Argh! so say amen. amen. Just take a deep breath, chew some bubble gum. Okay, it's, it's going to be okay. Pray First. Why? Because we really don't know what's going on in the situation. I had no idea what was going on in that youth leader's mind for him to steal money. And so I wanted to pray first. Why? Because it allows us to be sensitive to the direction of the Holy Spirit. When you pray first, see, we think, well, I'll just come in here and blow up and blow out. No, that's not going to do any good for anybody. Right? The Bible says in Ephesians Chapter 6, verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. What do you need to do when you don't know what to do? You need to pray. The Bible says when you pray in the Spirit, you pray out mysteries. And so anytime I know I've got a courageous conversation in my future, I spend some time and I just pray. Sometimes it's on the way to the meeting. I'm praying in the Spirit. I'm praying and allowing God to speak through me. Prepare my heart, Lord, because I don't want to walk into this conversation and intentionally just bulldoze my way through it, which is what a lot of people do. They'll use fear and manipulation to get their way because they just don't want to talk about it. Are you with me? We pray, God, help me navigate this conversation while staying calm and pulling out their potential. And I always bathe hard and potentially awkward conversations in prayer to stop my own thoughts, to stop my own preconceived notions, which is number two, drop your preconceived notions. Stop role-playing how you think this, this conversation's going to go. We think a conversation's going to go a certain direction, and can I tell you, after over 30 years of ministry, it never happens the way I role-played in my head. It never happens. More often than not, it happens better than I imagine it happening in my head. There is a random few occasions where it actually happened relatively close, like I imagined it in my head. We think that conflict ruins unity, but conflict is actually the opportunity for unity. I'm going to say that again slower. We think conflict ruins unity. But conflict is actually the opportunity for unity. But we have to stop role-playing the conversations and assuming how it's going to go down. And it's been my experience that most people are actually interested in what you're thinking. So think employer-employee for just a second. If I am working for somebody and they have a better way to do something, I want to know what they're thinking. Or if I'm, if I'm serving underneath somebody at church and they have, you know, a little, a little rub, a little, maybe they see a better way that this can be done, I want to know what they're thinking. And so anytime a leader in my life says, hey, do you have a couple of minutes? Yes. 
Please tell me what's going on because I'm here to make a difference just like you are. And so when we understand that most people want to know what we're thinking, then we can lean into those things. Amen. Number three, write down what your problem or issue is and what your intended results are. When we take time to write things down, not only does it allow us to kind of process our feelings, but it clocks a little bit of time between the occurrence and the conversation. But let me, say, let me pause and say this right here. Keep short accounts. Keep short accounts. Don't let a lot of time pass from whatever happened to the conversation. And a lot of people are like, well, I'm just going to pray and just let God kind of take care of the situation. I understand that. And you should pray. You should pray. But if you'll go read scripture, every time God dealt with a person, he used a leader to do it. He used a voice of encouragement, a voice of influence in that person's life to have the conversation. Amen, everyone? So write it down. Like, what are you hoping happens, right? It shows the other person that you've taken time to consider their thoughts and feelings. I always write things down. And listen, people come into my office, and, they'll, they'll, and I'll, I'll share some things with them. If they don't have anything to write on, I'm like, okay, well, thanks for coming in today. And well, that was quick. Well, you, didn't, you don't value my thoughts enough to write them down. Then you probably aren't going to get anything out of this. Again, it's information, not transformation. God bless you. Have a great day. And I'm not rude about it, but when we write things down, we're showing We're communicating to the person, I have something to say, I've thought about this, and then when you respond back to me, I write down your thoughts. Okay, I understand that, great. And it's just, it just shows that we actually appreciate the conversation. Number four, you guys good? Reaffirm yourself of your calling. What? Reaffirm yourself of your calling. God is the one that tapped on your shoulder. He's the one that told you to have the conversation. You're the leader of the department, the organization, the family, whatever it is. And reaffirm yourself that you are on assignment by the Lord. I am the pastor of your place church for no other reason than I said yes first. Like, that's it. I said yes first. And so I'm the pastor because I said yes before anybody else did. And now, because of that, I stand in that place. I'm the pastor. I got to have this conversation. I get to have this conversation. And God is going to be with me in in the middle of it. Romans chapter 11, verse 13. This is Paul. He was talking to the Galatians. He says, listen, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, and I take pride in my ministry. The New King, or the King James Version says, I magnify my office. I'm glad God called me to this. I'm excited to be the one. Remind yourself that you're the leader in the room. You're the parent in the room. You're the grandparent in the room. Even if you're the employee having a conversation with the employer, conversation going up, you can still lead in a very submissive and honorable way. Does that make sense? We're here to develop people, not use them. Amen? We're here to develop people, not use them. And by all means, don't break people in an effort to reach and heal people. I like to say this all the time. 
Don't become unhealthy when we're dealing with unhealth. I'll say that again. Don't become unhealthy just because you're having to deal with unhealth. A person that is known for blowing their top, flipping tables, throwing things, and you're the one that has to talk to them, you don't have to raise your voice, throw things, kick stuff. You don't have to become unhealthy when dealing with unhealth. In fact, you shouldn't be because you'll lose your, response, or you'll lose your influence like that. Because what they want you to do is they want to pull you into the arena of shouting, of yelling. Listen, when we were raising our kids, we did not yell in our homes. Now, there were a couple of times that dad had to speak over little Taliana <laughs> or little, a little Taylor. Rarely little Tyson, because Tyson took notes about Taylor, Taylor. Okay, okay, don't, don't do that. Got that. Okay, do do that. All right, got that, right? And there were times that I had to, I said, hey, listen, hey, 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 listen, listen. But that was the extent of it. There was never a, you better blank, 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 slam doors, throw things. Why? That's fear. And it's manipulation. And manipulation is akin to witchcraft. Be careful. Okay, I'll come down. I'll come down. Manipulation is akin to witchcraft. When you're trying to get someone to do something out of fear, out of anger, you're going to throw something, you're going to kick something, You're trying to get people to be afraid of you. Jesus does not do that. Pastor, he walked in the temple and he kicked over the money changers. I understand that. I understand that. But when he was talking to the people he loved and the ones, his disciples, he brought them close and he had face-to-face conversations. He did not bow up at them. His intent was not to smash them to damage their little psyches. Are you with me? Let's just have good conversations. I can remember there was a staff member, and this has been years and years and years ago, but I was having a conversation with this person, and they, they bowed up at me. You know what I mean by that? Don't bow up at me. Don't bow up at me. And this is before I know what I know now. This is before I know what I know now. So I may, may not have handled it as well as I would today. But, and this is a, it was a woman, and she bowed up at me, and I felt it. I mean, you know how the blood goes up to your face. <clears throat> you know, the cartoon, steam comes out my ears. And I responded with an equal, if not greater, bow. And fortunately, thank God Almighty, my wife was there. And she could see it. And she reached over under the table ever so slightly. She was sitting on the side. And she just put her hand on my thigh. And that was all I needed. And I was like, (laughs) Because I knew that would not have been healthy. You do not become unhealthy 
dealing with unhealth. The Bible says a soft answer, come on, turns away wrath. It's like heaping coals of fire into the lap. Some people, that's the only way they know to communicate. Because they were raised in a home where you just yell. You just shout. And so they don't feel like they've even had good conversation until someone's voices have escalated. We don't have to be that way. You don't have to be that way. Amen, everyone? Reaffirm yourself of your calling. You're the one called by God to do this. And if he's called you, he's equipped you. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has given us, everybody say that word, everything. Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and his goodness. Say this with me. Say, I'm equipped to have hard conversations. Now say this, I'm actually good at it. <laughs> you are. I'm actually good at it. I'm actually good at it. I don't avoid hard or courageous conversations. I'm actually good at it. People want to have conversations with me because they leave feeling better than they did when they got there. Amen. So number five, reaffirm yourself of your love for the person. I love what Tyra says, my wife Tyra, for those of you who don't know her. She says, hard conversations aren't hard when you love the person. I love my kids. And if I need to have a courageous conversation with my kids, it's not hard. Why? Because I love them. I love my staff. I love you guys. And a hard conversation or a courageous conversation is not hard because I love you. And I want you to be better. And I want you to do good. And I want what God's best for you. And I want you to walk in his blessing. And when sometimes we're making decisions that are, that are separating us from the blessing and the goodness of God, it's my responsibility to have a conversation with you. But I promise you'll love it. I'll promise you'll be better afterwards. Amen, everyone? Reaffirm yourself of the love that you have with the person, that youth leader I, that stole from God and took the money. I just wanted to find out what, like, what was it that caused you, like, how come you needed 20 bucks, bro? Like, are you good? Like, what's going on at home? Are you in financial trouble or do you just need to steal something occasionally to make you feel like you're living on the edge? Because I can help you with all of those scenarios. I just wanted to know. I just wanted to be a part of him. The, I joke about it. The worst thing about being a pastor these days is I just can't fire people. I have to be like, what's going on inside of you, right? <laughs> like, why do you do that? Why did you just cuss at me? Like, right? You know what I mean? Like, tell me what's going on. And at the end of the day, we need to realize hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And when you understand that, that out of the two of us in this, that's having this conversation, they're the one hurt. And the reason why they're lashing out and the reason why they're, they're responding or reacting the way they do, again, I, I like to say it this way, any, any reaction to some action that's an overreaction is evidence of undealt with pain. Any, I'll say it again, any reaction 
to some action, a conversation, someone did something, that is an overreaction. What? Any reaction to an action that is an overreaction is evidence undealt with pain. Undealt with pain. There's been a situation, I've talked to somebody, and man, they went from zero to a hundred like that. Undealt with pain. Someone in their past has done something to them, and now they're, they're, they're extracting it from me. That's what anger is. You know what that, right? I didn't talk about this first service, so somebody in this service needs to hear this. There was a book um, called The Enemies of the Heart, years ago, published. And he started talking about enemies of the heart, anger. Um, uh, anger is the one that spoke to me. Jealousy is one. Um, greed is one. Um, somebody know the fourth one? Yell it out if you do. I don't remember it. Anyway. Um, anger, he said, every one of them is like a debt. Someone is extracting the debt. And anger is, you owe me. That's what anger says. You owe me. And you don't owe me what you, like, you owe me. Like, you, I'm on the revenge because of something my dad did to me. And I'm mad, and he owes me an apology, and I'm taking it out on you. I'm, so, I'm mad because my, my grandfather touched me in a way that was inappropriate, and I'm mad about it, and I'm going to take it out on you. That's what happens. We're angry. And so people who, all of, who just seem to respond in rage or anger hurt people. There's something there. And if we're going to be leaders, men and women of God, we're going to pause We're not going to match their volume. We're going to say, what's going on? What's going on? This conversation, listen, this wasn't supposed to go this direction. Why are you so loud right now? Why are you so angry at me? This, This situation should not have merited that kind of response. What's going on? And and I'll tell you how to get to the bottom of that here in a second. Number six, speak to their potential. Speak to their potential. Listen, God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for all of his kids. And even though they may not be walking in the fullness of that purpose, this conversation is an opportunity for that to happen. He has a purpose for all of his kids. Speak to what they're doing right. Listen, I actually feel like you're great at this. I actually think you rock at this. You actually, you know what? If you would just kind of work in this, this area, this is an opportunity for you to shine. Number seven, speak to the issue. Don't walk away around it. Don't kind of hem-haw. Like, just be direct and speak to the issue. Listen, the reason why I'm calling you in today is because for this guy, I was like, hey, listen, the reason why I'm calling you in today, you were here. I just reset the cash box. I walked in my office. You left a minute and a half later. I walked right back out to the cash office or the cash box, and there was $20 missing. I just, just be direct. Hey, this, they're wanting to know, why, why are we calling this meeting? Just be direct. Here's the issue. And I say this. We have, we have a saying at your place, church. We just run at hearsay. We run at ugly. Like if there's some kind of an ugly situation going on, we want to put ourselves right in the middle of it. People are like, well, why don't you mind your own business? 
this is my business. This is my business. You are my business. I will stand before the Lord God Almighty for how I pastored you. You don't have to do that. Are you with me? I will stand before God on how I pastored you. And so I will stand, we and our pastors and our leadership teams, like we'll get all up in there and we'll do it very honorably. Like we're not kicking doors open again, enter point number whatever I said, okay? Like there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. I'm not going to get unhealthy when I'm dealing with unhealth. But I will put myself in the middle of it because we're going to run right at it. We're not going to run away from it. And that's the way you got to do with your kids. That's the way you got to do it with your estranged family member who, for whatever reason, you guys haven't had a conversation in two and a half years, and it's probably a misperceived or some kind of a communication gap. And if you just open the door and just have, hey, can we have a conversation? I miss you. I miss you. And if they're going to be honest, they'll go, I miss you too. Like, why, why are we even feuding over this? Like, what even happened? I don't know. We've got people at church, and I joke about this a lot. We've got people at church that people walk in the door, and they stole their boyfriend in seventh grade. They're 43 years old, okay? But ever since then, mm-mm. Can we be bigger than that? Moving right along. (laughs) Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. We have to get right to the topic. We have to talk about it. And most people, I have found out, most people don't actually want to be right as much as they just want to be heard. Just want to be heard. I just want you, I just want you to get my perspective from this. Number eight, remain calm. You're like, oh, I thought, I thought we, I'm reaffirming you. Remain calm. Proverbs 15, verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stirs up anger. The tongue of a wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish gushes folly. It gushes folly. And again, some people don't know how to communicate until they get vocal. I just don't flinch anymore. Rah! Okay. Wow. Wow, that was, that was intense. <laughs> what are they wanting? They're wanting me to... This is how we have courageous conversations. It's okay. Number nine, listen. And not just listen, but listen intently. All you prior high school students will know this one. Seek First, to understand, then be understood. Effective communication 
is effectively communicating your desires to another in order to get a response. That's what effective communication is. But what is the most important part of communication? Anybody? Listening. Like, actually listen. Even if they're wrong, at least you understand why they are responding how they're responding. Seek first to understand, then be understood. Why do you feel that way? Like, seek first to understand. Um, and there's, two t- there's several forms of listening. L- learning for information's sake. Hey, which, which, which way to the nurseries? Oh, yeah, you go out here, you go through check-in. Nurseries are back there. Uh, where do I put this? Oh, you set it over here, right? To some degree, that's listening for information's sake. Entertainment falls into this, music, whatever. But when we're dealing directly with people, we need to spend extra time listening, not just because they're talking, but to understand where they're coming from. Most people listen with the intent to answer. We're going to have a conversation and you're going to speak. Oh, I've got, okay, just stop talking because I've got a good zinger right here. We listen with the intent to respond, not from the intent to understand. Listen to hear where they're coming from. For most of us, we're listening because it's given us time to respond, and we don't want to necessarily be that. Number 10, I told you it was going to move these fast. Look, it's only 1237. I got time. Time. Ask clarifying questions. Again, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Sometimes in order to understand, we have to ask questions. Become a master question asker, even if you already know the answer. How many, how many questions did Jesus ask in the New Testament? Anybody? Throw a number out. 10? 14? 45? He asked 45 questions. He asked 80 questions in the book of Matthew alone. Jesus did. Did he know the answer? <laughs> yeah. But he still asked questions. Um, who do they say I am? Who do you say I am? Why are you still so fearful? What are these? These are questions that the Lord Jesus Christ asked. And he knew the answers. But he still asked them to put them in a frame of mind. And he's wanting to know, I mean, what you're thinking. Do you feel like this? And that's, that's you know, perception is always greater than reality. We, we know that. Perception How I perceive this is always greater than the truth. And so here's how I have a conversation a lot of times. Jack, the way you, um, the way our conversation went, man, I feel like, I feel like there's this divide between us. Is it just me or do you feel that? And we just, we, we just ask questions. And again, perception is greater than reality. So I'll always, I'll be like, man, I, I just, feel like there's something between us or I feel like that when you said that statement you, you it kind of came with a little bit of a, a punch it came with a little bit of it I feel like you you're you're always showing up and again perception is greater than reality this may not be true 
But my perception is you always show up 15 minutes late when everybody else on the team is here 15 minutes early. And I, I feel like you don't value what we're doing here. And you don't, what you're saying is your time is more important than all of theirs. That's what I feel. Tell me, am, am I wrong? Am, am I wrong? There's a right and wrong way to have a conversation. Show up 15 minutes early or you're fired. Why are they showing up late? Why are they showing up late? Turns out they're working three jobs and they just didn't hear their alarm. Well, why are you working three jobs? Like, what's going on? This is where I kind of in, introduce the, it's called the, the five whys, the Toyota, the Toyota thing. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. Toyota has a philosophy called the five whys. And basically, um, the problem that they say first is not typically the problem. You don't get down to the problem until you ask why five times. We'll use Toyota's example. Um, a person comes in and they say, uh, problem, car will not start. Why? Well, the battery's dead. Why? Well, the alternator is not functioning to charge the battery. Why? Well, the alternator belt has broken. Why? Well, because the alternator belt was well beyond its useful service life and not replaced. Why? Because the car was not maintained according to the recommended service schedule. So your car not starting is because you didn't take care of it. <laughs> right? That's why it's not starting. I want to leave my husband I don't know. I'm not happy anymore. Why aren't you happy? I don't know. We used to laugh. We don't laugh together anymore. Well, why, do, why don't you why don't you laugh together? Probably because we're never home anymore. Why aren't you home together? It's because we both work all the time. I'm so sorry. How come, you, how come you both work all the time? Because we got all these bills and his college debt and this house. And for some reason, we, we bought two cars on credit. And I don't know. We have to. Okay. So let me get to the bottom of this. You want to leave your husband because of the fact that you guys have all of these bills and you both have to work all the time, and you're never home together, so you never laugh together, you never enjoy each other, you're always irritable, when really it has nothing to do with you or him, it has everything to do with the situation we found ourselves in. But you'll never do that unless you just keep digging a little bit. Number 11, you guys okay? Speak to their potential when the issue's fixed. Listen, if you can get past this, if you can get past this little hiccup in the road, listen, if you can get past whatever, you know what I mean? 
Man, can you imagine the kind of influence you'll hold with our team, with our family, with our church, whatever, with the department? If you can just get past this, you can pull through this. And I believe this isn't a setback, but rather a setup. Amen? And then number 12 is simply this. Leave them better than when they came. Leave them better, not worse. Not do it because I said to do it. Fear, manipulation, whatever. Leave them better. I've had people come into my office and I've had to have a very, very, very hard conversation with them. And at the end of it, they thanked me because someone had the guts to tell them what they needed to hear in a very real and loving and understanding way. And we're still in relationship today because at the end of it, they left better than they did when they got there. Now, got your 12. Unfortunately, not all conversations will end up the way you want them to. The youth leader that stole the money denied stealing the money, left the youth group, and is living with that guilt and that shame for the rest of his life. Because not everybody will leave better than the way you found them. Because some people lack the capacity or the emotional health to admit when they're wrong, to have conversations and to grow from that, which is what we're going to talk about next week. To go forward, we have to go back. To go forward, we have to go back. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we are truly inspired, um, excited about this series. Father, not because we're learning very practical tips, but Father, I believe you're digging some things out of our hearts. And for some of us, Father, this is the first time this has happened. We don't know if we like the way this feels or if we just wish we wouldn't have come today. But in reality, Father, you've got a plan for us. For some of us in the room, in order for that plan to be completed in order for us to find true happiness, for, uh, in order for us to be completely fulfilled. We're going to have to dig some of this stuff out. And Lord, it's okay because we're safe in your presence. We're safe with a heavenly Father who loves us unconditionally. We're safe in your arms because we know that you have the best in mind for us. And Lord, even though there's been influential people, father figures, leaders in our life that may not have understood this, that doesn't mean that's the way you are. God, you're always kind. You're always loving. You're always full of encouragement. You see our future. And Lord, if we could see our life like you see it, if we could see what was on the other side of this mountain in front of us, 
this seemingly impassable thing, if we could see what you see, God, we'd go straight through that mountain. We'd go up and over. We'd go around it. We'd tunnel under it if we had to. Because you see the potential inside of all of us if we would just be willing to get down in the weeds and dig this stuff out. So, Father, we submit ourselves to you. Let that process happen in all of our lives in Jesus' name.